Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Rachel Renock. She's the CEO and creative director at Start Hatching. Rachel, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks yeah, for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what what you're doing is actually really interesting and, and super important. But maybe before we kind of get into exactly what you're working on, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. Um, so I actually grew up in upstate New York, uh, just outside of Syracuse. Okay. Um, and I actually ended up going to, I went to public school in Syracuse, and then I ended up going to Syracuse University uh, for communications design. Okay. Um, Keep yeah. going, sorry. No worries. Uh, so that actually, that's a program out of uh, the Visual Performing Arts School at Syracuse. A lot of people think I came out of Newhouse, but I actually didn't. Okay. So I, I got to give credit where credit is due. <laughs> sure, fair um, enough. And uh, yeah, I had a great experience there and uh, pretty much sent me re- directly to New York after that. Sure. So what made you want to take kind of arts and design and communications um, in university? Yeah, so... You know, I was always very creative um, in high school, and I did a lot of fine arts. And to be quite honest, I think people thought I was a little crazy when I told them I was going to art school. Um, There's kind of a a bit of a stigma there. But, you know, I got in uh, to Syracuse, the communications design program, which is really um, incredibly rigorous. And, you know, from there, me being very left brain and right brain, uh, you know, design and communications just seemed like the right path. I mean... I love art. I still do it. I still do a lot of photography and drawing. Um, but, you know, I really needed that problem-solving aspect to the creativity. And uh, I think that going into the route of design, um, which really in itself is a problem-solving, you know, problem-solving by nature, Very much so. um, really was just like the perfect fit for me. And I just kind of, you know... Um, sort of stumbled into it and then from there I just I just loved it I loved the challenge and I loved the problem solving and I loved the creativity and it just uh really worked for me no totally I like I I come from a design background as well so I I totally get that and I'm I'm curious then so you, you graduate university you you get out in the working world walk me through kind of your your career up until start hatching Sure. Um, so I went directly into advertising, uh, which is okay. a route that's pretty um, common coming out of the program that I came out of. Actually, they do like a portfolio show in the in New York. Very cool. Um, and yeah, it's it's really a, pretty much a direct path um, right into marketing, advertising, and design. So, you know, I, I went into advertising, and my first job was incredible. I worked um, on the CoverGirl account. Uh, wow. And I worked under a creative director who, to this day, I'm still in contact with and I love. Um, That's great. And, you know, I, I really liked it. I really liked it. My first year was, was I learned a ton. I got to put my hands into things that I probably wouldn't have normally been able to do. Um, I did a lot of their social stuff. Um, and it was great. I learned a ton in that job. And from there, I actually went on to Habas, which is uh, the agency I left to start this company. And I worked on uh, Hershey for about a year with my other two now co-founders and actually worked on KY for a little bit, which was fun. <laughs> interesting, sure. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was, it was weird. It was fun. Um, I had a great time doing that. 
But, uh, you know, I sort of felt myself three, three and a half years into this with this itch to, uh, you know, solve a problem that really mattered. Um, I, like I said, I'm by nature a problem solver, and I had a, I think advertising is a great fit for that. It's all about strategy and getting to know kind of what drives people, and, um, you know, it really aligned with me. But at the end of the day, you know, I was sort of left awake at night kind of staring at the ceiling like there's a bigger picture that I, that I'm, not that I feel like I'm missing. Um, and I think a lot of people probably feel that way. And so that's sort of how the company was born. I was feeling that discrepancy, that sort of um, emotional, not emptiness, but, you know, something was felt missing. And in reality, you know, when I did my first project with a nonprofit, it totally, I mean, that, that was it for me. I was sold. So, um, you know, I was really looking to get more into that stuff. And uh, that's sort of how the company was born. Sure. So what exactly, well, okay, wait, wait a second. So you left your job to found Start Hatching or, or how did that kind of come to be? I did, yeah. So last April, um, I was looking to pick up some side work. Okay. I had done some photography for a nonprofit called uh, OPAM, which is out professionals in media and advertising. Um, okay. I'm a lesbian, by the way. That was a good segment into that. No, sure. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> Uh, so I did some photography for them, some freelance stuff. And, you know, around April, I was looking to do something on the side again, pick up some more projects with some uh, nonprofit organizations. And I really couldn't find much access to the space. Um, you know, if you don't know people that really work in that space a lot, it's hard to get into it, uh, especially on like a short-term sort of standing. So, you know, I was looking on a lot of the current freelance platforms that are out there, Upwork and Freelancer.com and Toptail. You know, there's a, a dime, kind of a dime a dozen. Um, but really nothing was targeted at me finding work I cared about. And that's what I was looking for. I had a job. I was doing well. But I really wanted to do stuff that, that I aligned with um, that made me feel good at the end of the day. So long story short, uh, we built it. And we went through the summer talking to nonprofits and realizing what an insane disparity there is and what they have to deal with and put up with to find people. And it's so crazy. And um, we ended up actually quitting our jobs in August and then going ahead and launching the company. Um, it all happened really fast. It sounds like slightly insane when I say it out loud. Uh, but it just, I mean, it felt right at the time and it felt like we'd had our ducks in a row and, and now it's the time. And, you know, at a certain point you just got to say, I can do both of these things sort of haphazardly or I can do one really well. And I, you know, I had to leave and I had to give it a shot. So that's where I am now. No, I, I, I think that's great. Right. And I, I think part of it sounds really stupid saying it, but like I, I heard somebody say years and years ago, I can't even remember who it was. They're like anybody that's ever been successful just decided to go for it one day. And I was like, that sounds so dumb, but it's so simple. But you're right. But like to your point, like I think you need to just do that, right? And like, right. I think that's great that you just just went for it, right? So, what exactly is start hatching? I, I know we've kind of kind of covered it briefly, but I think what exactly is it, and what's its mission? Sure. So you know, our mission is to get nonprofits better resources. Um, right now, they they don't have much access to people like me who, who come from advertising or marketing or graphic design um, sure. or development. So the idea of the platform is to connect those people, to connect the nonprofits not only with those people, but with people who actually care and align with their mission. And that's really kind of the, the sweet part about it. It's not just that 
we're providing, you know, a, a nonprofit who needs a new website, a graphic designer. It's that we're getting them a graphic designer whose heart and soul, uh, you know, aligns with their mission. And um, we match based on those two things combined. So, you know, we really want to make sure that when we're talking to nonprofits and when we're um, matching them with these people that we're getting them high quality talent and talent that they may have not previously had access to. Uh, and so that's really, you know, that's the main mission of the company. And, and for us, you know, the, the people in the nonprofit sector, I mean, they save lives. And, yeah. and I say this, I feel like I say this every day and, and they do that. They do that, whether it's animals or women or refugees or the LGBT community. I mean, that is what they're doing. They are actively saving lives and they've dedicated their lives to this. So for us, a big part of the company is, you know, demanding the respect that they deserve and, um, really making sure that those people have everything they need to solve those problems. Because when you're tackling a, a problem as complicated and tough as like homelessness, yeah. I mean, you should have access to whatever you need in order to get that done. And if we ever hope in our lifetimes to see those problems be solved, we have to start paying more attention to the, these organizations and giving them what they need. No, I, I, I totally, I totally love what you guys are doing. And I, I think and, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. Like, at least in my experience, I find sometimes people are generally willing to help other people, and they're even willing to help people in other countries, whether they're donating, there's been like, you know, relief efforts if something, you know, bad happens mm -hmm. in some part of the world. But I think sometimes we forget about the people in our own local communities, you know, that really need help, whether it's like homelessness, like you just mentioned, or, or a handful of other causes, right? Do you find that mm -hmm. some people kind of forget about the people in need in their own kind of communities? Yeah, I, you know, what's interesting about what, you know, what you're saying is, is you're right. There, it is human nature and it's innate in us to want to help. Um, I think anybody can attest to that. And I, I truly have based my entire company on that. And I believe it. I believe most people, when given the choice, will help. Um, in terms of locality, you know, these problems are complicated. They're not sexy. Uh, they, they, they start on a grassroots level. They start locally. And something that we've actually been really trying to remind people of, especially in the current political climate, is amazing. Like, donate to the ACLU. They do amazing work. Donate to Planned Parenthood. They do amazing work. But really, truly look at the organizations in your community that are doing, you know, similar things or fighting similar causes. And make sure you're getting out and supporting those guys because, you know, the ACLU having hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter or, you know, Planned Parenthood is very well known. Um, they do get a lot of that attention, and that's great because they're tackling really tough causes. But it's really, really important to know and embrace the charities um, on a local level who are doing things like food drives for the homeless or shelters or, um, you know, no-kill shelters for animals, like things like that that, really will directly affect your community. And I, I think that sort of uh, method and that thought process trickles back into government as well. I mean, local is, is everything and paying attention in those local scenarios is really what's going to start um, creating that change that we all so desperately need, need and want to see. Oh, totally. And I, I think like what I really like about kind of what you guys are doing is you're trying to help people that actually need help right and it, it kind of sounds mm -hmm. stupid to say it, like that simple but that's what you guys are doing right and I think it, it makes a lot of sense and 
I think there's a much needed hole in the market that you guys are filling with that. But I want to kind of dive a little bit deeper. You have, you guys work with a bunch of different kind of causes and you have mm-hmm. kind of, you're focusing on 18, if I'm correct, right? 18, yeah, 18 types right now. Okay, so walk me through kind of how do you guys, or how did you come up with those 18 and then what are you guys doing for each of those causes and and how can like people get involved and, and help these causes? Sure. So, you know, one of the biggest things for us is, and I think one of the biggest issues with, um, you know, things like volunteering or trying to get people involved is getting somebody involved uh, pertains very personally to them and being able to get them to do something that, you know, either involves a certain skill set that they have or a certain mindset that they have is really far more effective than just saying like, hey, you know, all your your Chase Bank has a branch that does volunteer work, so we're going to send all of our bankers who have very much, you know, a financial skill set out to build a house. Like, to me, that type of scenario doesn't make so much sense. Um, and it's interesting because what nonprofits really need outside of obviously people who are, you know, going to build a house is financial services. They need accountants, they need lawyers. So for us, you know, we're really trying to hone in on those professional skills and make sure that they have access to those skills as well. Because part of being a nonprofit is your infrastructure, it's your organization. And, you know, if, if, it were effective for just me to just go out and give a homeless person a sandwich, then the nonprofit sector wouldn't exist. And the reason it does exist is because they form these programs and they're looking at the bigger picture and they're trying to solve a bigger problem um, than just a one-to-one person scenario. Sure. So we started with we started with the 18 causes that we knew were the most common. Um, you know, a lot of humanity type of stuff. Uh, you know, medical aid, things like that, um, community, education, you know, certain oppressed groups, civil rights, LGBT, disaster relief, things that, um, you know, are pretty common and people are f- familiar with, people are can get on board with. Um, and eventually, you know, we're going to roll out into some of the more nuanced things that are, uh, might see a little bit less funding or might be a little bit less paid attention to, arts, uh, music, things like that, that, um, you know, we're looking to roll out in the future. But for these causes, I mean, it's interesting to see because no matter what silo or vertical you are in, if you're, you know, the ACLU or if you are uh, a no-kill shelter, you still need a website, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you still need social media. You still need a developer to help implement that automation software that everybody's trying to sell you. Like, you still need the same stuff. Um, your cause is different. Your mission is different. And that's why we match based on that but in general a lot of these organizations they're pretty much like a base level of supplies and tools almost that they don't have a ton of access to that we really want to bring to the attention and give to them got you so we'll, we'll cover the freelancer side in a second so if i'm a nonprofit, i come to starthatching.com what do i do if i want to get some some sort of service done for me sure so What's so interesting about us is um, we've actually flipped our business model a little bit. And I, you know, okay. I think a lot of nonprofits are used to either expensive staffing agencies or consultants or, um, you know, anything in that kind of realm. And for what we did is it's free to sign up. It's free to post a project. And the nonprofit only needs the funding to pay their freelancer. So they only need to set aside funds to 
uh, justify paying, you know, a graphic designer to redo their website. And we actually make money by taking a service fee from the freelance side. So, um, because you're bringing them work. it's like a referral fee, right, right? Exactly. Yeah, okay. um, Very cool. Yeah. So we're we're bringing them work, uh, and then more importantly, we're bringing them work that they care about. Hopefully. Sure. So sure. Uh, you know, we take that service fee, and that way, it's fully beneficial for the nonprofit. They don't have to go back to their donors or their funders and say, "I got to pay this subscription fee to get you know a staffing agency to get us a graphic designer or you know wh- whatever the route is." All they have to say is, "Hey, look at our website. It needs a, to be redone." you know, we're going to set aside funding to do that. And that's much easier for them to justify um, in terms of spending to do that. So for us, really, like, we connect them, we make that match happen, and then the nonprofit only needs to be able to pay their freelancer, and that, um, you know, the rest is is history. So we're essentially trying to replace uh, the RFP, the request for proposal, uh, which is very much how uh, they get their work now. So when you, obviously, like, you'd probably potentially need... Okay, like let's let's go on the website. So like I need a new website. You match me with a freelancer that can handle the new website. But if I need social media, do I have to post kind of one for a website and one for social media or can I combine the two or is it really up to me? So it's really up to you. I mean, right now, so in terms of a website, if you have a specific project that needs a bunch of different skill sets, like a lot of websites, you know, need, they need designers and developers. Right. They're actually able to create a project for both of those things at once. Gotcha. Um, if you want to use a graphic designer and you can make a project that says like just general graphic design, we need a new website, we need a rebrand, we need some social media, they absolutely are, are able to do that. It's really at the disposal of a nonprofit. Um, but, you know, for the most part, if you have individual needs and a lot of these organizations do function this way where, you know, they know they have like a, a gala coming up so they're going to need like a big social media initiative or something. Um, they can just come on and they can source people who will help them with that immediately. Um, and so we're trying to create sort of efficiencies in how they're finding and outsourcing people to get stuff done that they need. Got you. Okay. No, that that makes a lot of sense. So if I'm a freelancer, how do I get involved and start kind of potentially working with causes that I'm passionate about? Sure. So as a freelancer, again, it's pretty simple. Um, they just sign up and, you know, there are, a cu- there are a couple things that are required. They have to have a functioning website, some sort of portfolio that showcases their work. Um, okay. And, you know, we're working through some vetting processes. We're in beta right now. So right now we actually manually vet for our nonprofits. Okay. Um, because one thing that we hear is, you know, I can't deal with 20 applicants. Like, I don't have time. Fair enough. Um, so we're working to help you know, match them with people who we think could, could do really well with their cause. Um, but as a freelancer, you come on, you make a profile, and then essentially you get an email or notification every time there's a project posting that aligns with your skills or cause that you um, have selected. Okay. So every time somebody posts something, you know, if I'm a freelancer and I want to help with the refugee crisis and I mark that on my profile when I sign up, uh, if there are project postings that align with my graphic design skills and the refugee crisis, um, I'll get a notification or an email that says like, Hey, this is totally up your alley. Like come check it out and do some awesome work. Um, you know, solve some problems that matter. And, and that's pretty much how it works. Okay. So does the cause or the nonprofit set the price tag or is it really kind of up to like, does it really depend on the, the type of project or I guess who sets the price of the project? 
Right. So that's one of the things that is actually the mo- probably the most unique about us. Um, on other freelance platforms, it's sort of a bidding game. Like yeah. I could go on as a freelancer and say, like, I'm $150 an hour. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, if you want this quality, whatever, X, Y, Z. For us, though, we know that, A, that's a total headache for the nonprofit who already is strapped for time and resources. Totally. And, B, it's just a completely different market. So when you're coming to us, you know that you're working with nonprofits. It's not about going to the highest bidder. It's about doing work you care about and also getting paid. So we actually allow the nonprofit to set the rate. Um, And when they create a project, we've actually created a pricing suggestion engine that pulls in uh, the size of their organization when they sign up and the skills that they need. And we spit out sort of a range of price that um, we think is fair to pay the freelancer on an hourly basis. And they can choose to use that or they can choose to set their own rate. Um, But, you know, it's it's like an Airbnb sort of pricing model where you can see what the other apartments are listed for in your area and you can choose to be in that range or you can choose to do whatever you want. But it's suggested that you... um, Go with the recommendation. Got you. So are you guys just looking for freelancers or do you have kind of companies, um, you know, saying, you know what, we're going to dedicate some resources to actually um, building something that we're, we're passionate about? Or, or are you guys just mm-hmm. looking for freelancers right now? So right now, I mean, we focus mainly on individuals. Okay. Um, we've had a couple, we've had a couple of like small groups of people who, you know, are quote unquote agencies, but I think they're really just like kind of their own one-stop shop okay. um, sign on. And we don't, you know, we definitely don't say like, no, you can't be on here because if they're willing to, as long as they're willing to do it for the rate that the nonprofit sets, um, it's totally fine with us. Okay. The thing that we want to avoid is getting like small agencies or people on site that are then you know, getting in contact with these nonprofits and then being like, well, we have overhead costs, we have XYZ, so it's actually going to be, you yeah, know, the yeah, scope yeah. is actually going to be XYZ. And they're like, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. And it's much cheaper for them to just go with an individual graphic designer who doesn't have to, like, pay rent somewhere, uh, you know, to work and yep. and uh, whatever other overhead costs there are. So for us, like, if you have the skill set and you want to get involved and you're okay with the price tag, then by all means. Um, but we definitely don't want anyone coming in and being like, it's three thousand extra dollars for this website because that's that'll be a big no no. We'll we'll for sure have to deal with that if it happens. No, that that makes a lot of sense. So I so I'm a freelancer. I pick a cause and a project that's um, on Start Hatching, and I say they, they and we both mutually agree to work together. How does that kind of exchange happen? At what point do you guys kind of? handle the whole kind of exchange or do you just kind of that point pass on contact details and then let the freelancer and the nonprofit work together or how does that work? Yeah. So as of right now, because, uh, because we're in beta, we do sure. a lot more stuff manually. So like we're always following up and making sure that, um, you know, things are being met on time and, and they're getting what they need. Uh, it's really to man make sure we manage, um, help the nonprofit manage the freelancer. Gotcha. Eventually, we want to roll out like some on-site communication where they can really just like do all of that, like you know, almost like a Slack involvement right. um, within the actual website, so that they can then coordinate on-site with us because uh, they actually pay their freelancer through our Stripe um, payment gotcha. yep. platform yep. on-site. Um, but as of right now, you know, it kind of is like okay, we're going to match you guys, and then you go off and uh, you coordinate and you do your own thing. And then you let us know if there are any issues. And we also have rolled out a couple of things to help with that process. Um, some like 
briefing templates that are downloadable, some like project timeline templates, just little admin things that um, help, you know, the nonprofit organize and keep their freelancer on track and, and going in the direction that they need them to. Sure. So when you're matching a nonprofit with a freelancer, do they need to be in the same geographic location or can they be kind of spread out wherever? So that's kind of the beauty of it, right? I mean, we can connect uh, a nonprofit in Michigan in the middle of, you know, a small town in Michigan with an amazing graphic designer out of Wyden and Kennedy sure. in New York, sure. you know? So for us, like, I think that's actually kind of the amazing part about it. Um, if somebody needs someone on site, like, oh, we need somebody to photograph an event, then that's something that we would probably handle manually at this point. But for now, most of the stuff that they need is, is very remote. And, you know, it can be done remotely and just sent over um, in, in files. So I think one of the coolest things about what we're doing is, like I said, connecting some of these, like, sort of smaller, more local charities and nonprofits with some of these, like, you know, top-of-the-line graphic designers, developers that are coming out of huge cities like New York sure. um, or Austin or San Francisco. And then they're essentially getting access to the same talent that the Apples and the Coca-Colas and the... Um, you know, Microsoft of the world are also getting access to. So that's been a really, actually a really cool part of it for us. No, I, I think that's great. I, I love that idea, right? And part of, part of the reason I asked the question is because I, like, I figured that was going to be your answer, right? And, and you're right, because sometimes there might be like a small town that maybe like most people haven't necessarily heard of that really needs something. And like a designer in San Francisco is like, yeah, I'll do that or whatever, right? That's amazing. I, I, mm -hmm. I love that you guys are kind of bringing those two people or organization and person together. And I, I think that's that's really great. So for people that um, are maybe a nonprofit, and I know we've kind of covered throughout the show, like kind of design and photography and development and stuff like that, but maybe for people that are still maybe a little bit unclear on all the things that a nonprofit can ask, you know, start hatching to, to get for them. What other mm -hmm. things are you guys kind of matching freelancers and, and projects and nonprofits to like, is there anything else outside of kind of the, the design and the graphics and the photography? Yeah. So we, um, we do anything from, you know, like you said, design development, planning and production, but okay. for us, uh, you know, that can mean a back-end develop. Like, a lot of nonprofits come to us and they say, well, you know, we're upgrading our uh, automation software, but we really need a back-end developer to help us get that going mm -hmm. um, for, like, a couple of weeks. So we stack um, a lot of those people that they need. We also look at stuff in production. So if they need to, you know, make a video or they need to do, like, some sound editing, video editing, we offer all of that stuff, casting, um, we do a lot of planning stuff too, that's just strategy uh, or even like event planning. Okay. Um, and then, you know, app development, web development, even like banner animations. A lot of people come to us and they just need like quick email templates made. Sure. Um, you know, or they, or they need to upgrade their uh, Drupal website or, or whatever it is. And so, um, you know, we try to match them with those sort of short-term people that can help that get going without it being a huge headache. Eventually, though, and actually a, a, feat or a skill we just rolled out is grant writing. Oh, very um, cool. Yeah, that could be really useful. Yeah, so we're actually planning eventually to expand beyond just the creative. I mean, we started with what we knew coming from advertising, but sure. 
eventually we want to roll out into some of the larger things that nonprofits are already hiring contractors for. Um, we've gotten a, a bunch of grant writers on site now. Um, we're looking to maybe even do like accountants and lawyers in the future, um, you know, anyone in finances, financial services, things like that, that just allows them to get better access to people who um, can help, you know, get their organization what they need. So we're definitely looking towards the future in terms of skill set. Sure. No, no I, I love that. I, I think that's great. And, and you, yeah, it's almost like an infinite uh, uh, possibilities of stuff that you guys and verticals that you guys can kind of work in. But, but I'm curious, you're, you have a design background. Um, how technical would you consider yourself to be? <laughs> More technical than I was eight months ago, that's for sure. <laughs> sure. And, and why I ask that is I'm always curious to know uh, and get kind of, you're obviously like a, you're working on a startup, you're founding a startup, and you, you have kind of a design background. And a lot of, a lot of startups aren't founded kind of by designers. And so mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious to know what have you found kind of, what are the pros and cons of being a designer and founding a company? So, you know, being a designer by trade is communication, and I think that is probably our biggest strength. Okay. Um, I think that coming from that background and knowing how to not only, like, visually communicate, but um, even just, like, branding, giving things context, the way that we speak to our audience, the way that uh, we market ourselves is really important. And I actually think that coming from a background in communications design has helped us immensely in building sort of like a brand voice. Okay. Um, I think in the startup space, what I've noticed and what's really interesting is you're right. A lot of people come from tech or yeah. development, um, but a lot of companies tend to neglect their brand. They tend yeah. to neglect uh, how they communicate. I mean, if you look at, I, I could probably pull up 10 startup websites right now, right one right after the other, and they would look very, very similar. Yep. Uh, you probably have the, the big image on top and then the <laughs> yep. how it works, one, two, three, and then the, you know, like it, yep. it's very clearly templated because I think um, a lot of people are just mainly focused on getting the tech right and getting the, the you know, the pieces put together in under the sort of assumption that then the people will come. And I think a lot of companies run into trouble when, all those things are in place, and then they're realizing, like, well, this is amazing. We built it. Why aren't people using it? Um, so for us, it's been really interesting to actually, like, reprioritize things. Uh, we have, you know, I have a head of product who's amazing and technical. We have developers who have been helping us um, uh, get the beta up and running and everything like that. And, um, you know, for us, I actually think coming from that background in design has been a strength. Um, and I think the tech side of it can definitely be supplemented by bringing in experts and people who, um, sort of know more what they're doing in that space and making sure that it, we're not just building a piece of te- a, a cold piece of technology essentially, and that we're, you know, wrapping it in something that gives it context, that gives it, um, a reason to fit into people's lives. And I want to make sure that as we grow and as we build everything we do is truly for our audience. And we, uh, you know, we, every step of the way, we're listening to their needs. We're listening to what they want. And um, I think that's something that has been a huge strength for us this far. No, I, I think that's great. And I I hope more designers start companies is kind of the, the point I'm trying to get across, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, though, what kind of cons would you say, um, you know, not being having kind of more of a design background than a technical background? Have you kind of had to kind of overcome? Because 
like you said, you're a lot more technical now than you were eight months ago. But I think that in itself is inspirational, right? Because, Mm -hmm. and I think you can turn kind of the negatives of not being necessarily having a a total technical background into something where it is positive. And and it sounds like you're obviously doing that. So I'm, I'm curious to know, like maybe eight months ago, what were the challenges that you had not having necessarily a, a huge technical background? Sure, yeah. So honestly, first and foremost, uh, tech and, and business are totally different languages. Totally. I mean, they, you know, the jargon and the acronyms and the, <laughs> <laughs> you know, eight months ago, if you had told me SAS or a SaaS platform, I would be like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know what that is. Sure. Um, and so there's a, there is a big learning curve there in terms of just really kind of understanding what people are saying, like what's going on. Um, I did a ton, a ton, a ton of reading this summer and I continue to read, um, you know, anything from like corporate finance for dummies literally is where I started. Sure. No, there's <laughs> and, nothing wrong with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, just kind of snowballing it from there. I mean, there's definitely been challenges along the way. You know, you, you run the risk of being taken advantage of um, if you don't know, if you're not fully like aware of what's going on. Uh, people can say like, you know, things might take longer to build than they actually do or, um, you know, in that, in that way, which would, it, it sucks um, when it happens. But for the most part, you know, I surround myself with people who are A, smarter than me and B, who have strengths where I have weaknesses. Sure. I think that's really where my team comes in and where they've been just unbelievably incredible. Um, you know, math has really never been my strong suit as a creative person. Sure. But I realized that I've been saying that my entire life, and it's really just a, just an excuse. At this point, um, you know, it, it requires discipline. It doesn't come to me as easily as, you know, drafting up a new logo does. It definitely requires me to, like, sit down and discipline myself and, and learn those things. But the biggest thing I think I've learned in the last eight months is that if you have that discipline and you're willing and you're put in a position where it's like do or die, you're going to learn it. You're going to figure it out. And that's sort of where, um, you know, we've taken it. And like I said, my team who has strengths more in finances and math and on the technical end of things, they really supplement that. And we really sort of balance each other out in that way. And I think if anybody, like you said, I think, encouraging more designers to start things like don't be afraid of the idea of like not being technical um you know startups and tech are not synonymous they really aren't i think uh if you have the willpower and if you're put in a position where it's like i either got to learn this or the thing's gonna crash um you know you'll do it most people will will be able to figure it out and and do it and take those steps and that's probably the biggest thing that i've learned in the last eight months no, I, I think that's really good advice. And I, I think just kind of like I, I would never consider myself that strong at, at math either. So the comment I'm about to make, just to give it some context, like the math that you learned in high school about like, I don't know, like surface era area or whatever like it is or like the craziness that you never thought you'd use. You don't really need to know that stuff. It's like almost like simple, basic math for, for a lot of cases, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it's... Yeah, it's daunting when you're like, oh, math. Like, but it's not always like calculus to run like a business, right? Like it's right. You, you, it's almost just like understanding like the basics for lack of a better term. It's more complicated than that, but 
it, it's not like this insane, crazy math that you need to like launch a rocket in space. It's like just to sort no. out like your financials, right? Like stuff like that. And I think people don't think of it like that. Like at least in my experience, sometimes they're like, well, I'm not good at math. So I like, I can't handle the books. It's like, well, that may be true, but it's also not as daunting as complicated as like, I think people work it up to be. Do you agree with that? Totally. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And, you know, it's all, for me, the struggle I always had with math in general was like, it, it had no context for me. I didn't understand yeah. why, you know, X, X equals Z and, and whatever it was. Like, I had no context and me being the way that my brain thinks and functions. Like, I like to see how things are actually mapped out in context. And so the business end of things has actually been easier to adopt in that way because there are reasons for everything. There's right. a reason that, you know, there's a reason for uh, calculating your cost of acquisition. Like, that makes sense to me because I can see it in context and I can say, we spent this much and, uh, you know, we acquired this many customers and so now we know what our cost of acquisition is. And sure. that, when you put it in context like that, it's much easier to digest in that way. Um, I think it's just a matter of finding a way to to learn it in a way that, like, you can understand it. And so, yeah, you're completely right when you say that. I mean, it, it looks like you look at a spreadsheet and you're like, oh, my God, my eyes are crossed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you sit down and go line by line and really just take the time to be disciplined and look at it and and wrap your brain around the context of everything, um, you know, I think anybody can can figure it out at that point. No, I, I think that's really good advice. And, and I love kind of, you know, people like yourself that are they're open to talking about kind of their – the pros and cons of kind of who they are as a person trying to run a startup because there's people can relate to that a lot more. Right. And, and I love that. So I'm curious though, did you guys self fund? Did you guys raise some money, a bit of both walk me through kind of how you guys are funding this right now? Sure. So we self funded, we self funded up until this point. Um, we okay. put in between the three founders, we put in about 25,000 okay. uh, to get the beta up and running and to put a little money into marketing and to bring in sort of our first wave of customers. Um, right now we're actually raising a, a seed round of funding to kind of take everything to the next level and really scale up and start um, reaching some of those, you know, nonprofits that are not directly in New York city or in a larger city. Um, but you know, for the most part, like we bootstrapped it, and that you know, if there was one daunting barrier that I had in my mind, it was money. And I, you know, a lot of people probably will say that, but like I don't come from money. I don't, um, you know, have just like a secret savings account that it was just like exists for things like this. Sure. Um, I literally spent the the last like. I guess six months before I quit my job, just putting away as much as humanly possible into that savings account and making sure that we had enough cash to get a developer in and to get the site up. And um, my team has sacrificed like unbelievably. I mean, right now uh, one of them actually works at a coffee shop during on the weekends. And then she does this during the week. And like, she's pretty much sacrificed all seven days of her week for the most part. Um, and you know, that's how we do it. We just, we bootstrapped it and we work really hard and we scrape it together. We scrape the cash together. And I think just coming from our background and knowing, you know, what I know so far, I think if somebody is thinking about doing something and they're worried about funding or they're worried about finding that money, like start with a couple thousand dollars. If you can scrape that together, you can get anything off the ground at this point. You can get a Squarespace site up, you sure. get, you know, your social accounts running. Like, it isn't, there's a lot of um, 
loopholes. So there's a lot of like go arounds when it comes to cash flow and places that you can save and efficiencies you can make. Um, if you're really forced to be in that position, you can still make it work. No, I, I think that's that's really good advice. And I, I think you touched on something that I think a lot of people are, are kind of scared about is like, it's a grind, right? Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. like you're one of your, you know, other people working on the, on the project, like works at a coffee shop on the weekend. Like that's reality. And like, sometimes like even, yeah. even like if you're a fully funded startup and you're making money, sometimes you're still working six, seven days a week. Maybe it's not mm-hmm. like at a coffee shop at, on, on Saturday and Sunday because you're working on your own product, but like, it's kind of like a, it's not really a full-time job. It's kind of your life, right? And yeah. that's for some people and that's not for some people. And you can still do a startup that's successful if if you kind of do it nine to five, Monday to Friday, but it's going to take you a lot longer to get to where you want to be. It's doable. But I think to your point, like you need to be that dedicated and passionate about what you're doing to be the most successful, right? At least in my experience mm-hmm. and the people I've talked to. Yeah, absolutely. I, it is. It's. It's. One, I've never. Honestly, I've never worked this hard in my life. Totally. Um. It's constant. But uh, you love it, never, it right? It really doesn't ever shut up. Oh, I'm obsessed with it. If yeah. I didn't, if I wasn't obsessed with it, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have made it this far. I mean, you know, all of us, the entire team, is so incredibly passionate about this idea, and when we see the like the actual problem that it's solving, and like that that bridge that we're um, building to close the gap between nonprofits and, and resources. Um, you know, it's, it's inspiring. And I would say this is the hardest I've ever worked in my life. Um, you know, I <laughs> barely have any money in my bank account. I'm definitely like living off of ramen that we all are, but sure. it's, it's absolutely 100% worth it. And I've never once, um, you know, thought to myself like, God, I shouldn't have done this. Uh, you know, everybody has their bad days, and I want to acknowledge that because that's a real thing. Um, sure. You know, everyone is going to wake up on a Wednesday morning like, I'm so exhausted. I can't <laughs> do this right now. Like, everyone's going to have those moments where they want to quit, and that's completely normal. Totally. And I think, unfortunately, like, everything that you read and everything that you see is just like success, success, success. But everybody has days where they want to quit. Very much so. But the bottom line is that, like, you always push through that and something good will always happen to counteract that. And then you'll remember why you're doing it in the first place. And then you just move forward. And so, you know, I would say like, and there's actually a great article that I read about um, the psychology of being an entrepreneur and, and how that can take a toll like mentally and emotionally on you. And it's a really important, I think, point to, to touch on because it is stressful and it's very emotional and it's very up and down and um, you know, you are going to go through that, but it's worth it if you're really passionate about the idea. No, I I 100% agree. And it's funny because like you, I'm sure you get asked this too. Sometimes people are like, Oh, so like, what are your hobbies? You're like the startup, (laughs) like the company. Yeah. You're like, I don't have (laughs) hobbies. And actually I had like, this is a couple a few weeks ago. I, me and a couple buddies like flew out and met another buddy in another city. And like, we kind of just had like a guy's weekend for a few days and they were like, you work too much, man. Like you need some hobbies. And I just kind of laughed at them. It's like that it's not even a reality. Like, it's like, you know, I appreciate it, but like people that aren't doing it don't really get it. And I think that's the point I'm trying to get across is 
like the only people you can have these conversations with are other people that have been through it or going through it. Like if if somebody Absolutely. you're right and and so I think just having people to like bounce ideas off or people like yourself that are willing to openly publicly talk about there's days like a Wednesday where you're just like, you know what, I just want to give this all up and and go do something totally different, right? And like we mm-hmm. all go through that and it's normal and like sometimes you'll have a you know, uh, something will go sideways and you pick yourself back up. Like, I think that's, that's great. And I, and I love to your point a few minutes ago that, you know, you guys are, are kind of just figuring out how to do this, get money here and there and do this and keep going. And I, and I, and I love that. Right. And, and so mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of curious though, you mentioned about marketing, um, start hatching and I'm, I'm curious how did you guys actually market the platform and how did you get in front of these nonprofits? Totally. Um, so we, we started locally. Uh, you know, something about with nonprofits is the people that work in the sector, um, they're very loyal people. They're very trustworthy okay. when you can gain their trust. But it takes a while to build those relationships and to gain that trust. We learned very early on that you know, putting a couple hundred dollars behind a promoted Facebook post is just not going to do it. Interesting. Um, and they get cold called and they get sold to, you know, a million times a day. And I think, you know, a lot of times they're under the impression that like people don't really get it. Um, a lot of for-profits make the mistake of going into the nonprofit sector and saying like, this is what you need. You need to do X, Y, Z. And the nonprofit people are kind of like, oh yeah, they kind of like roll their eyes. Like, yeah, we know that that'd be so nice. If I had a, <laughs> a, a developer on staff, like, thanks for letting me know that I need a new sure. website. Like I know. Um, and so something that we actually did and adopted was uh, that idea of like a listening tour. And, um, you know, we started just by saying like, Hey, like what, what are your problems? Like what's your day to day? Like what, uh, what's the biggest pain point about, you know, finding resources. And in New York, there are a lot of events. There are a lot of nonprofit events. We joined a bunch of different, um, like email listservs. We joined a bunch of different, um, sort of organizations like the center for social innovation. Um, the social change is a big one, uh, to the call. So we just kind of dove in and put ourselves in, we went to them, we put ourselves in the environment, in which, uh, they were already and just asked, we just asked questions and we listened to what their needs were. And we said, you know, okay, that's awesome. And then we went out and we tried to build a product that reflected um, the, the solving of those problems. So in terms of marketing, I mean, it started by listening and then, you know, we provided the source or we provided the service to a couple of them and they loved it. And, you know, like I said, they're very like loyal, trustworthy people. And they, once they love something, they're going to tell other people about it. So there's a big like word of mouth thing that happens within the sector, especially in terms of resources. Um, and that happens with individual like graphic designers. And it also happens with, you know, technology. Like, hey, I tried this, this and this. I liked this one, um, but I wasn't a huge fan of that. And that they, they honestly, um, they talk about these things a lot. And so, you know, we just want to make sure that whenever we are talking to nonprofits or whenever we're trying to provide a service for them, that we're, we always start by listening. Um, you know, it's never good to approach a situation and say, like, I know what you need, because in reality, most people who don't work at a nonprofit have no idea what they need. And, uh, you know, there's a quote, actually, that's coming to mind that a professor once said to me, um, if you walk into a room and act like you know everything, people will tell you nothing. 
If you walk into a room and act like you know nothing, people will tell you everything. So it's sort of that kind of um, disposition where we're like, hey, like we're kind of new at this. Could you guys like give us some education on like what's going on and what your sort of day is like? And, you know, everyone is happy to share their horror stories and their their pain points. And, uh, you know, everybody wants somebody who's going to listen to them. So that's really where we started in terms of marketing. And then you build those relationships and then the word sort of travels from there. No, I, I think that's that's great. And and I love that kind of angle on how how you guys are promoting start hatching. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And to your point, like you're right, like people get bombarded by stuff all the time. And if you if they actually feel like you care about the community, they're way more willing to at least hear you out and, and try what you guys what you're doing, right? So I, mm-hmm. I think that's great. But sadly we're coming to the end of the show. So Let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other social media links you want to mention. Sure, yeah. So um, our beta is up live right now on uh, starthatching.com. Um, it's fully functional. If anybody needs any project done or they have any short-term needs, feel free to sign up and create a project. Um, I'll just reiterate a couple of things. It's free to sign up. It's free to post projects, and you really just only need to pay your freelancer. Um, the rate that you can afford. So that's like pretty much the main thing. I mean, um, our social media is all under Start Hatching. So you can find us on LinkedIn, on Facebook, uh, on Twitter. We love our Instagram. It's <laughs> it's interesting and weird. And uh, if you're looking for like a good laugh, probably check out the Instagram or the Twitter. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, you know, like I said, our mission is to get those nonprofits what they need and, and we're here to, to advocate for them and we're here to demand the respect that they deserve and um, we're really excited about what we're doing and thanks for having me by the way <laughs> no I, well I was just going to say like thanks again for taking the time out of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you guys and you know have a good rest of your day yes definitely thanks again perfect thank you bye Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.